The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Jeff Hodge, in for Ken Crowther, and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, I'll be taking your calls on everything from cures for viburnum beetle, a fabulous tree for a small garden, and why plants flower. By the way, it's all about sex. We've also got some top tips of things you can be getting on with in your garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Noelle from Little Clacton. Oh, good morning, Jeff. I'm very well, thank you. Good. Hello from Houston. <laughs> is that, uh, is that uh, the eagle has landed? Or have you got, Or have you got another yes. problem? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm ringing on behalf of my sister, who's on holiday and can't speak to you today. Last year, she planted 30 Hitco lavenders either side of her front garden path. Okay. One of those 30 died, so she replaced it with another. Then that one died too. I asked her if she'd removed any of the soil, and she said no, she hadn't. Now, I'm suspecting that it may be a soil problem, but I need your advice. Okay, well, one out of 30, uh, you know, you sometimes expect, you know, all, all plants are individuals, you know, a bit like you and me. I, I, I might die before you do, etc. So you, you can never guarantee just because you've got 30 of the same plant that they're mm. all going to do exactly the same. So one dies and then you replace it with another one and, and the one in that same position dies. So I think exactly, we have to, yeah. I, think, I think we have to go down into the soil. We have to go and have a rootle around in the soil. Because yeah. according to somebody a long time ago, somebody once said the answer lies in the soil. <laughs> so I think there may be an issue. It could simply be that in that area the soil wasn't prepared well enough. Maybe there's a lot more clay. Maybe it gets wetter in the winter than elsewhere. But yeah, I think um, have, a, have a good route around. If that, if that plant hasn't already been taken out, then take it out or get her to take it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, improve the soil maybe even actually remove the soil in that area and put some really good topsoil in yeah. Re replant um and i probably would leave uh, replanting until spring to be perfectly honest okay at this time of year as you know things just don't always get established that well during the summer months and in, in the autumn if we have a harsh winter lavender can sort of get a bit of a setback so i'd probably get her to leave it till about april but in the meantime she can start preparing the soil and making sure that there's some good conditions for the new plant when it goes in okay jeff that's wonderful thank you very much for your advice no problem good luck with it or at least good luck for your sister with it. All right, moving on now, we're going to talk to uh, Beverly, and she's in Canoodon. Good morning, Beverly. How are you? Oh, not so bad, thank you. Good. Thank you very much. So have we got a problem, or, oh, have, or have we got a comment? What have we got? I've got, I've got several problems. Oh, dear. Well, we only well, do, gar we only do gardening ones here. The, um, I have planted a, a hydrangea, um, a jur, um Yep. At the time, the tub that I planted it in appeared to be empty. But by the time the hydrangea got to about a foot tall, all my loads and loads of tree lilies came up. <laughs> OK, all right, I see what you mean. I was, I was trying to work out what you meant by it was empty, but now I know what you mean. Yes, so go on. 
So, because all the bulbs were right down the bottom. Yep, yep. So, what I'd like to know is what sort of uh, root system does the hydrangea have? It's only been in, in for, where are we, July, um, six months. Okay, well, the one thing that you can say about hydrangeas is that they are shallow-rooted. Good. Which is, a, which is a good thing in this case, um, and that's why they are very prone to, to, to getting uh, sort of drought damage and drying out, because their roots never search deep into the soil. Yeah. So I, so I would say certainly for this year you can leave the hydrangea in and, <laughs> and enjoy lilies towering above it. Yeah. Um, but for the next year... Lilies. Yeah, well, they're going to get up to sort of maybe six, seven feet eventually. Absolutely. So, but I think for but for following years, I think I would be tempted to to split them apart. Oh, so, the tree lilies. Well, no, no, no. I'd I'd, I'd move the hydrangea out and leave the leave yeah. the pot purely to the tree lilies. Oh, yes, I would do that. Okay, um, I have a, another similar problem. Go on the then. other way round. Yeah. Um, I've got um, a lilac. Um, What's it called? Madame Lemoyne. Okay, lovely. Yeah, white flowers. Well, it would be, yes, if it ever flowers. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, again, I put um, Alstroemeria. <laughs> okay, you're, you're obviously having memory problems, eh, Beverly? <laughs> well, I, ha- I haven't had either plants before. All right, okay. I, I didn't know that Alstroemeria takes over. Oh, they do. Not ours. Well, I've, I've now got the, the tops of the Alstroemeria out. Again, how deep do the uh, roots go? OK, I think you've got more of a problem with this one, but I don't think it's worth doing anything this year. We're at the wrong time of year for you to do anything. I would wait until autumn when, yeah. when, when both are going dormant. Um, and then, I, again, I would, I would definitely split them apart. So I would take the, the, the lilac out and put that in a new pot and, and leave the Alstroemerias to grow on their own because they're not going to make good bedfellows, I'm afraid, no. in a long term. Is, I've got a feeling that the lilac is actually dead. Um, it's five years old. Is it not in leaf yet? It, no. Well, no, it should, not well, at it should, all. well, it should be in full leaf by now, so if it isn't, I think you're right. You have, uh, you have something that is not alive. No. It, and when you cut, cut through some of the stems, they're, they're hard. OK. Well, they're if it, sort it, of a grey-white grey, colour, and they're... They're hard. Yeah, they hard should, it the should be it should be green just under the bark. But as we're in the middle of July and there's no leaves, uh, then I would definitely say it's dead. Okay, well that's definitely one to remove. Um, and if you need uh, another lilac, looks like you're going to have to buy another one. I'm afraid. So that's Beverly. We're now moving on to Sheila from Westcliff. And uh, how can we help you today, Sheila? Good morning. Um, I've got a beautiful bottle brush plant. Lovely shrub which is growing and growing and growing. Um, I need to take a bit of height off it. Uh, I notice that the, the new leaves are all coming out of the branches that have flowered. Yeah. So do I cut them behind, cut away from behind the flower, old dead flowers, or how do I shorten its height? How long has it been in, Sheila? Oh, about five years. Uh, okay. Because, uh, I mean, bottle, that's how a bottle brush grows. 
Um, and so when we talk about pruning bottle brushes, we normally say you know, that they don't need it on a regular basis. No. But obviously once they start to get um, a little bit older and obviously if it's a little bit too tall um, and you need to reduce the height, the best way to do it is to actually take out... Um, older branches completely. So don't worry about pruning, because if you just prune above th- uh, this year's flowers, it's just going to shoot from there and, and it'll start to lose its shape. Yes. The, the best thing to do is to actually take out branches further down. Oh, I see, yes. And maybe do over a couple of years, so rather than do them all in one go, maybe do half of them this year and do, if needed, do the other half next year. Oh, right, yes. It's, it's at the gate, and it's, it's a bit awkward, you know, now people coming in the gate and everything. It's a bit too big for me. Well, it might yeah. be a nice welcome for them. They might think they're coming well, into they, somewhere they in Australia. Look at it. They love it, yes, <laughs> yes. But anyway, so take big branches out and lessen the height that way. Yes, yeah. indeed. And, and as I say, rather than shock the thing by doing it all in one go, do it yeah. over maybe a couple of years. And, and the time to do it is after flowering. That's when you should always uh, prune bottle brushes. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. Good luck with that. Thank you, Sheila. We're now going to move on to... uh, We're going to Wickford, and we're going to go and uh, talk to Tony. Tony, good morning. Uh, Good morning. How can we help you this fine and sunny morning? Uh, Well, um, it's about Tabris. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm growing them on an allotment in a a fruit cage. You okay? Um, they're, They're probably the best I've seen them for a long, long time. But the last time I picked them in the week... We noticed there was a very small maggot in them. Yeah, okay, yes. Because they're fruit, obviously I can't spray. I just wonder if, if there's anything I can do to eradicate the, the maggot. Well you, um, can, well, you can spray, Tony, if you, if you don't mind using chemicals. There are numerous um, what we call contact insecticides, which are regarded as being um, organic, in inverted commas, that um, have approval for use on spraying on edible crops. Um, and the vast majority of them, I would check on the label when you buy, but the, for the vast majority of them, you can literally spray and eat within a few hours, if not the next day. Oh right. So uh, if you so if you've actually got the grubs there, then th- that is probably the best way to deal with it. Yeah, because um, I understand it's a, it's um, a raspberry class as a raspberry beetle. It is a raspberry beetle. Yes. But on the I've got raspberries in the same fruit cage, and they're not being affected at all. Okay. <laughs> well, you've got you've got that you've got that special variant, the Tabery beetle, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> So is, okay. is, that, is that all right to spray with the same? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just make sure when you buy that you go and find one that is suitable and, and is approved for use on edible crops, um, and one that is usually sold as being organic. All right. Thank you very much. And that won't be any problem at all. We'll be going back to your calls in a minute, but now on the Gardening Hour podcast, it's time for Plant of the Week, and this week my plant is Penstemon. This brilliant perennial is now very popular and trendy. And that's not surprising, as plants literally flower their heads off all summer, starting in June and often still in flower in November. And they reward you with all these flowers with very little input from you. They're easy to grow and very reliable. Just give them a sunny site, water them thoroughly if and when needed, Keep giving them a good feed and cut back flower stems once all the flowers on those stems go over. And that's just about all there is to it. There are lots of great varieties, most growing up to about three foot high. And some of the best ones include apple blossom, 
She's pale pink and white-throated flowers, osprey, pink and white flowers, raven, rich purple blooms with a white throat, staple for gem, which has large lilac blooms, and sour grapes, usually or unusually greyish-blue flowers suffused with purple. One thing about them is that penstemons aren't always reliably winter-hardy and can be damaged or sometimes killed in very severe winters. But, providing they were planted in well-prepared soil that doesn't get waterlogged in winter, they'll come through all but the worst winters unscathed. If a severe winter is on the cards, mulch around them with a 3-4 to four inch thick mulch to protect and insulate the roots. If you're growing them in pots, either move the pots to a more sheltered position, such as against a south-facing wall, or better still a greenhouse, and protect the roots by wrapping the pot in bubble wrap. Leave the plants well alone in autumn and don't prune or cut down the old stems until around about April. Penstemons can become woody and leggy if they're not pruned annually, which leads to a reduction in flowering. Then you can cut them back hard to just above new growth appearing a few inches above soil level, but plants with few or no shoots growing from ground level should only have their stems shortened, making the cuts just above the lower set of healthy leaves. It's always a good idea to replace plants every three to five years as flowering can reduce after this time, but they're dead easy to propagate from softwood cuttings taken now. If you fancy growing great penstemons, planting is now best left until spring, so look out for plants in garden centres and nurseries then, or order them online. So that's this week's Gardening Hour podcast, Plant of the Week, Penstemons. We have got some callers, and we are going back to the phone now, and we have Pat in Coggershall. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. How can we help you? Hopefully, uh, is, right, it, is it I've a problem? Hosta seeds. Hosta seeds, okay, yeah. And I just want to know when I can plant them, or when uh, I can put them into sow. Okay. Um, are these seeds that you've saved yourself, or you've been given? Uh, no, I got them off the internet, actually. <laughs> Dodge, dodgy seeds off the internet, eh? Okay. Um, I think the best thing to do with, with hosta seeds is to get them sown as soon as possible. All right, okay. Um, I think if you were to leave them uh, and, until autumn or spring, there is a chance that they could um, lose some of their viability. So right. I, think, I think your best bet is to sow immediately. So well, with, with well, just wait, any wait, sort of wait until wait until twelve o'clock. Um, well, ideally, you want to use a, a seed and sowing compost, or yeah. if you've got a multi-purpose compost, just perhaps lighten it up a bit with a bit of perlite or something like that. I've got yeah, I've got some sowing uh, the sowing compost. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sow them okay. very thinly, uh, only a very light covering. Um, I, I would probably do them in in sort of seed trays, right. light light covering, and then put them somewhere. You know, out of direct sunlight. Obviously, they're not going to need. Well, hopefully, they're not going to need any heat, uh, seeing as it's the middle of July and there's a oh. there's there's a plenty of warmth out there. But keep them out of direct sunlight because you don't well, want I them can't to sort of burn. In the greenhouse. Well, you could put them in the greenhouse, but it might well be too hot, and and, if, and unless the greenhouse is shaded, uh, then it's going to be far too sunny in there. You could put them behind the greenhouse, just standing right, behind the yeah. greenhouse. Um, and then just keep them nice and moist, um, and then keep your fingers crossed that um, you haven't been sold something dodgy off off the internet, <laughs> and, and you get some hosta plants from well, them. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much indeed. No problem. Thank you very much for your call. We are moving on. We are moving. Uh, where are we going? We're going to Chingford next, and we're going to talk to John. And I think that's about gladioli. Is it, John? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
How can we help? And there's a fella from India growing gladioli, and apparently he lets his blossom go to seed, and he collects the seeds. I didn't know you could collect seeds from gladioli. John, John, can can I tell you something? Can I whisper something to you? Go on, then. Plants only flower for one reason. So, so that they can have sex and produce their babies, which are their seeds. Is that so, why I flower, then? <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> so if a plant flowers, it's flowering to produce seeds. So all, all flowering plants produce right, okay. seeds. OK, so, that, so that's a... And then he puts them in the fridge. i better turn that radio off. He t- puts them in the fridge... Yep. ..and then brings them out and probably... He said three years on, they might blossom. They might. They might well, yes. I mean, because it's a bulbous plant, although it produces a corm, not a bulb. Like like all uh, uh, types of plants, like that, you know, they take a, they take three, four. Well, I won't go up to five or six, but they might take five or six years to actually get the corm to the size that it can actually produce its own flower buds. Okay. So, it, so it's worth Good. doing, but you have to have a little bit of patience. Are you a patient man, John? Uh, I'm retired, so I've got to be patient. <laughs> well, you've got plenty of time on your hands then. I've got so, two other queries for you to raise over. Go on then, quickly, sh- fire away. Uh, a melon. I've chucked some melon seeds in last year in my old bit of rough ground, and four or five of them have come up. Okay. What's the chances of melons growing in this temperature? Um, were they melons that you bought from a supermarket? Yeah, pips. Yeah, the pips are threw into the ground. Yeah. Okay, we can grow melons in this country, no problem at all. Okay, um, but we need to make sure that we choose varieties that are suitable for the, shall we just say, variable British climate. Oh and then, right. Uh, and I I grow melons quite regularly, and some of them are fantastic. But oh, if, obviously, oh, if you, obviously, if you buy a melon from a supermarket, it's probably come from a, an exotic clime, yeah. and that variety may be more suited to an exotic uh, climate than Britain. So, so we'll see what happens. See what happens. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you know, there's no if they're in a bit of rough ground and they're not taking up a space that no, you don't need. Yeah. The other one is lilies. I've uh, got be, a lily, before, before not go, the John, spiky John. one. I've got the big with the big fat leaves. John, before you go on, if you do get melons. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sorry. Send us, send us a photo. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. All right. Yes, your lilies. Yeah. Lilies. Alla amma. Alla lilies. Are they called? Alla. Begin with an A. Alla lilies. Canna lilies. Canna lilies. Yeah, the flat leaf things, or not the flat, but the big leaf things. Okay. Yeah. Which aren't really lilies, but there we go. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what are they then? Turnips. Well, no. You see, lily is a is a common name. Oh, right. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So you've got canna lilies. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a, my son, my youngest son gave me a pot with them in, and they've grown lovely. They've now flowered. Now, at the end of this, whatever, when they all start to go manky, do, can I split the bulbs or the whatever's underneath into uh, other plants? Uh, yes, you can. I would leave it until the following spring because they're not going to be hardy. So you're going to need to overwinter them dormant because um, uh, they will die down. You can overwinter them dormant in a shed or a garage. They don't need light. Um, and, and then I would wait until probably March or April next year when they start to think about um, growing for the new year. That would be the time to split them. So leave them in the pot, uh, keep them reasonably dry over the winter, and then uh, come March, April, then you can have a good investigate in the compost and see what you've got. Terrific. Right, lovely. Thank you ever so much. No problem. Thank you for your calls. OK, we're going to move on to uh, Colin. And Colin is... Uh, uh, where's he in? He's in Leon C. And how can we help you today, Colin? Oh, good morning. 
I've got a yucca in the porch. It's growing. We've had it years, and it's growing up, and it's pushing against the ceiling now. <laughs> OK, they I do mean, that, don't they? It, it, in reality, it's an eight-foot pole with a few leaves <laughs> on the top, and I'd like to chuck it out. <laughs> but we've had it about 15 or more years, and my wife wants to keep it. Good anything for your wife. How dare you? How dare you throw away a nice, happy plant? Can I, can I coppice it or cut the top off and replant it and hope it'll grow? Or? What you can do with yuccas quite easily, although um, I might... You could have a go now, but probably your best bet is to leave it until late April, May next year. But it should still be okay doing it at this time of year. What you can do, the great thing about yuccas is that you can cut down that main stem to any height you like. Okay, so you could cut it down to two inches from the compost surface. You could cut it down to six feet. And wherever you cut it down to, you will get the dormant buds on the stem shooting. So you, that you get a sort of a, a multi, uh, multi-shooting effect. Oh, wonderful. My so wife will love you. St- <laughs> well, I won't, give, I won't give you my phone number, just in case yeah. it causes any maritals. We don't want to be doing that. Um, so, yeah, if you wanted it to, to shoot at two inches from ground level and make it more bushy then you can you can cut it down to two inches. If you want the growth to start at six inches or a foot or two foot, you decide where you want to cut it. Once you've pruned it or cut through the stem, I would try and seal it, if possible, with a little bit of molten wax because they can sometimes, uh, sometimes bleed. And if you get far too many shoots appearing, maybe if, you know, say six buds start yeah. to shoot and you've got six shoots growing and you want to thin those out, do it early and as long as you do it early and as soon as they start to shoot, you should be able to rub some out with your thumbnail. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much. OK, good luck with your, good luck with your new yucca. And also, the bits of stem that you're left, chop those into four to six inch pieces and then you can grow new plants from those. So you can actually have a whole forest of yuccas from your seven, eight foot high yucca at the moment. Oh, yeah, she'd love, she'd love that. Give them away. <laughs> and then, yeah, sell them. <laughs> No, no, she give them away. All right, Colin, excellent. Thank you very much for that. Okay, we're going to move on now to... uh, We're going to uh, Minster-on-Sea. Sounds lovely. On a lovely, warm, sunny day, and we're going to speak to Norman. Good morning, Norman. Yeah, good morning, Essex, from Kent here. Um, Yeah, it's nice and sunny and breezy. We've got a problem with a um, perfume princess, a Daphne perfume princess. Shame you've got a problem, because it's a lovely, lovely shrub. (laughs) Well, it came from a reputable Lanhydrock nursery in Cornwall, and it's a present from my son who gave it to us around Easter, about April time. And uh, I was advised um, by you and the Radio Kent, which I don't think is quite as good as yours. Um, (laughs) You're only uh, saying that because you're on. I bet bet you'll phone them up tomorrow when their programme's on and say, oh, I've, I've tried this on Essex, and they were rubbish. Well, at least you talk to your to your public because you do more chatting than well. I won't go on to it. We're we're not important, Norman. It's you that's important. The listeners are important. We want to speak to you. We want to chat to ourselves. That's what I like. I wish they'd do it more. And anyway, I can't chat to anybody. I'm here. I'm here in a box on my own. Yeah, we got it in a two two liter pot. Okay. It's about 12 to 14 inches high, and it's been fine since we had it. But recently, um, the leaves at the bottom are turning yellow and dropping off. Okay. Uh, um, we were advised to keep it in the pot for a year. Why? Um, to get it established. 
and that it would be all right outside. Um, but uh, with these leaves dropping off, we, we, you know, we wonder what's happening with it. Okay, so it was when it when it was bought. Was it in that same pot? Yes. Okay. All right. So obviously the nursery sold it before they should have done. Um, okay. The first thing I would do is I would very carefully turn the pot upside down, supporting the the, the plant with your hand yeah. uh, around it, and try and tease the pot off. Yeah. To so that you can look at the roots. Yeah. If it is root bound, or if there are a lot of roots, then I would plant it out. If it hasn't developed a good root system, there's no or few roots showing. I would leave it inside that pot. But yellowing leaves are usually a sign of a little bit of distress. Although yeah. you know, Daphne's uh, that Daphne is evergreen. All yeah. evergreens lose some of their lower leaves during the time, so it might just be a normal practice. Yeah. Um, it's usually irregular watering, but where have you got it situated? What what conditions is it getting? Well, it's outside. Uh, it's been on our um, decking, sheltered from the wind and uh, not too much sunlight, uh, but sufficient, um, more or less protecting it. We did put it in the greenhouse, just stood it in the greenhouse, uh, for a while to see if that would help it. But, no, I don't, uh, it won't. It won't need temperatures. Daphne's like it cool, yeah, so it definitely yeah. needs to be out of outside, direct yeah. outside, but out of direct burning sunlight. So, yeah. actually, a small plant like that might actually prefer a little bit of light shade. Light shade, yeah. So um, give, we've had the uh, Daphne Adora before, and it's been beautiful and grown quite large, but it gave up the ghost after several years. Yeah, they do that. Daphne's aren't uh, particularly long-lived, sadly. So yeah. um, keep it out of direct sunlight, keep the compost um, evenly moist, check the yeah. roots, and if it is pot-bound, then I would either pot it into something bigger or it's time to put it in the garden. Brilliant. Does that help? Yes, fine. And then, yeah, and then, lovely. and then you can compare our answer to to BBC Kent tomorrow. Yeah, in between <laughs> the time they're chatting to, on, yeah, uh, other visitors and uh, moving on, Norman. Visit. Moving on. Thank you very much for your call. <laughs> okay, we're going to go and speak to. Uh, we're coming back, back, back from across the border. We're going to speak to John from Colchester now. Good morning, John. Morning. How can we? How can we help you? Well, many, a few years ago, I found a little tree outside my front, and I thought oh, that'd be good to go into a Christmas tree to put my lights on. Okay. I've done that. It's got about six foot now, and I believe now I've been told it's a yew tree. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, my wife's obviously the, the the poisonous, and do I leave it there, or do I get rid of it, or how do I look after it, or what do I do with it? Well, I've got oh, a, I've got a yew, I've got a yew tree in my garden. It's fabulous. So yews are, in fact, I've got two. I've got one in the front, and I've got a gold. Sorry, I've got one in the back, and I've got a golden one in the front. They're they're very oh. orn, they're very ornamental. But you are you right. I'll give you that. They are. You are right that uh, mainly the berries that they produce, if it's a female, are poisonous. Well, it has got berries on. It's had berries on before, yes. Okay, so obviously you should not eat the berries because they are poisonous. But interestingly, no. um, some places like you know, large gardens where they do a lot of yew hedging and topiary, yeah. w- when they cut them each year, they actually um, send off all the clippings because there is research going into the fact that. Um, some of the things in you can cure or treat cancers. Oh. So it's Can a... Can you get it, me out being about two foot away from the foundations? 
Okay, well, again, I, I'm not going to talk about foundations and, oh, right. and because obviously if I say, yeah, it's fine, and, you, and your house falls down, yeah. you'll sue me. And if I say, ooh, I wouldn't do that, and you remove it. Thing, you see. I thought it was just like a normal green tree. It didn't have long roots. In theory, you shouldn't plant a tree closer than two and a half times its ultimate height from your your house. Foundations uh, vary from age of house, um, and also problems can occur depending on the, the the soil type. And heavy clay soils are worse. Right. If you are worried about a tree in your foundations then you should either get um, somebody from the council along or a tree surgeon to look into it for you and that's legally yeah. I'm covering myself <laughs> so that so that you don't sue me when your house falls down. Otherwise, other than that I can just leave it where it is. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All right, thank you very much. We'll be back to your calls in a minute but let's have a look at some tips on the Gardening Hour podcast and the first couple for you are to keep deadheading all the summer flowering plants that repeat flower, especially all your summer bedding plants, to ensure they continue to bloom profusely. Now this means pinching or cutting off the faded flower and flower stems, plus any developing seed heads or pods behind them. Bush roses also need regular deadheading. We used to recommend cutting back the flowering stems by around 4 to 6 inches, but this is no longer the case and it's far better to simply and carefully snap off the faded flower and hip with thumb and forefinger. You can also cut back delphiniums, geraniums and other perennials after the first flush of flowers to hopefully encourage a second flowering period. Keep all flowering plants that have been deadheaded or cut back with high potash liquid feeds to keep the flower display going. And it may be the height of summer, but now's the time to think and plan ahead for next spring by sowing spring flowering bedding plants. All your favourite and most popular ones can be sown now, including wallflowers, sweet william, forget-me-nots, bellis daisies, polyanthus and primroses, and winter flowering pansies and violas. Most are easy to sow and grow on, ready for planting into their permanent flowering positions, including your containers, in autumn. Some, including wallflowers, sweet william and forget-me-nots, can be sown directly outdoors in well-prepared seed bed. Simply make a shallow drill with a bamboo cane, sow the seeds thinly, cover with soil and water in. Or you can sow and grow them on in small pots. Others, like pansies, will need to be sown indoors in pots or trays of compost and given gentle warmth, preferably by placing them in a heated propagator. Grow on the young plants throughout summer and then plant them into their flowering positions in early autumn for a fabulous spring display. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Okay, we're moving on to um, Harlow. We're going to speak to Eve. Good, Good morning, Eve. How are you? Good morning, I'm very well, and you? Oh, I'm extremely well, thank you very much. How can Good. we help? Um, well, I understand there's lots of butterflies coming from abroad. Um, um, if yes. you haven't got many, pardon? Yeah, there, there, well, there are butterflies coming from abroad now that we've got a nice warm summer. Some, some do sort of migrate over here, but there are some fabulous British butterflies as well that spend most of their life here. Yes, um, well, my... Uh, question is um if you haven't got lots of flowers in your garden um how can you encourage them in uh, by, uh, by growing more flowers <laughs> how does that how does that help <laughs> not a lot <laughs> 
Um, um, is there anything you can uh, make that um, can feed them? You know, like uh, sugar or you can. Whatever? Yes, I mean uh, a, a lot of people. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a lot, but I, there are people who will make um, a sugar solution. Now, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've, don't, I've never looked into this myself, so I don't know the exact sort of dilution or concentration but they'll make a sugar solution and then in a saucer they'll put a sponge a natural sponge and then Mm -hmm. they will pour this sugary water over that and you will often get butterflies coming in to have a feed on that obviously you need to you need to sort of get them into the routine of doing that which may take a little while Um, and by having plants that encourage them into the garden um does encourage them in and while they're waiting their turn etc they might start um finding your sugary sponges it's not it's not no. a, it, yeah sorry go on no it's all right you you go on well, I was just going to just going to make a stupid joke, you know, that it was a about your about your sandwich sponge. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Does for that your help? help? It does actually. Yes. Thank you. All right, and let us know how you get on and whether it works. All right, so we are going to move on. We're going to um, we're going to Colchester. We're going to talk to Brian. Hello, Brian. Oh, how can good we? Morning, how, Jeff. How can we help you? Yeah, um, a quick one, a tall, spindle-like uh, conifer, a telling conifer, um, you know the sort. I think it's called a skyrocket or something like Junip- that. Junip- Juniperus skyrocket? That's, that's the one. Okay. Um, quite, quite apt today on 50 years uh, anniversary of the skyrocket. Absolutely, yeah. Don't, don't, don't touch the blue touch paper or don't like no, the blue I... touch paper. <laughs> no, I try not to. Um, anyway, I've got problems with it, which the, the skyrocket didn't have, of course. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's going brown at the bottom, and uh, some of the, the lovely um, branches are, are brown. And is it an aphid? I mean, I've sprayed it with a bug-type spray. Um, I've also watered it a lot and uh, fed it with some, um, you know, some of the granular feeds. Yep. Um, what what more can I do, or is it doomed? Oh well, let's let's not use the doom word just yet. So, um, is it, is this just on the surface of of you know on the outer surface of the tree, or is it does it go deeper in? Is it one branch? Is it in large patches or, or distinct areas? It, 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 at the top is quite good. So there's one sort of brown piece at the top. The bottom's not so good that you know it is inside in the bottom and. It's got, you, you know, when you can pull a branch back and um, there's more branches. Yeah, in yeah. Well, if you do that of an ice green one, there's, there's, a, there's a brown one inside. But um, as I said, I have sprayed it quite, quite a lot. And is the, is the bottom of the tree where you've noticed this browning, is that shaded by any other plants? No, no. Uh, so it's well, open. There is a, um, a, honey, there is a honeysuckle, um, which is pretty close. But um, it's not actually growing on it or shading it. Um, but, but it's probably not shading it. But okay, so that's, that's not a problem. Be, yeah. Okay, um, I, I was talking to the previous caller about my my wonderful yew, uh, golden yew tree that I had in the front garden, yeah. um, and mine is my golden yew tree has done exactly the same. Oh, which is due in my case to the fact that it dr- it uh, dried out last summer. And it's only oh, yeah. just taken now for the dryness of uh, of the roots to show problems. I, I oh, know. It, I, I know it's. I know it's because of that. Because it's only the half that is that is close to the house near a concrete path. The other yeah. half 
which is growing into the garden, which obviously we had moisture soil last summer. It hasn't happened to. So yeah. it could be that. If um, aphids, there are aphids and other sap suckers that can cause distinct patches, but I don't think that's the issue with yours. I think it may well still be uh, a sort of a, uh, a follow-on from last summer. Yeah, that's quite possible, yeah. yeah. It was very dry, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, that's great, Jeff. Thanks. Just, just one more thing for people who've got viburnums in the garden. I've, I've had a beautiful viburnum shrub, which was eaten to the branches by um, caterpillar, and um, anyway, um, I thought it was written off. I just left it there. They've all come back again, the leaves. Yeah. So they do actually grow back. Oh, they do. Of course they do. Yeah. yeah. Plants, plants do want, do want to live, despite some of the things that we do to them. Anyway, yeah. thank I mean, it looked dead. It just looked absolutely dead. But everything's grown back. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's viburnum beetle, and, and it is a bit of a scourge at the moment. But thank you very much, and thank you for your comments. All right, where are we, go where are we going now? We're going to Wisley. Going to Wisley in Surrey, okay, all right. If we're going to Wisley in Surrey, we're going to talk to uh, Margaret. Hello, it's not actually Wisley, it's a village near Wisley. <laughs> well, even so, where, 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 what are you doing all the way over there? That's where I live. Oh, okay. Do you not, <laughs> have, a ra do you not have a radio station in Surrey? Yeah, but they don't have a garden program. I don't okay, think. all right. Well, then, yeah, then... I, just found, I found you by accident this morning. <laughs> That's what most people say, and this will probably be the last time you'll ever listen to us, Margaret. Oh but no, 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 I found you. I'll be tuning in. Well, we're here every Saturday. Every Saturday, come uh, rain or shine, snow or wind, from eleven to twelve o'clock on BBC Essex. So please do well, tune in. It makes a change in my cookery programme. Yeah, you don't want to do cookery. Anybody can cook. Anyway, yeah, how, can we, how can we help you? You're very welcome from Surrey. Right, I've got a lovely Perovska, another Russian sage. You're Russian sage, yeah. How do you propagate it to make more? Margaret, no idea. Anyway, thank you very much for your call. Bye. No, <laughs> it's uh, quite easy. You can do various different types of cuttings. Uh, you can do what we call semi-ripe cuttings, and that can even be done now. And you can also do hardwood cuttings, which you would do in November. So you've basically got two options. So I would, I would start by doing some semi-ripe cuttings now. If those fail, or even if they take and you want to take some more, you can do hardwood cuttings in November. And when do I cut it down? When do you prune it? Okay, yeah. pruning has to be done in spring. Um, probably the best time to, to prune back a perovskia where you are in the country is probably going to be towards the end of March or early April. And you can be quite brutal with it. You can cut it back quite hard. Good. Uh, that's lovely. OK. Oh, thanks very much. No, well, thank you for uh, tuning in from Surrey. There is a podcast, by the way, if everybody's interested. Don't forget, we do a, the Gardening Hour podcast where we um, have some of the best calls, and I'm sure Margaret will be one of those. And we also have lots of hints and tips. Um, so if you've missed out on the programme or if you want to hear one of the answers again, please do bear in mind that there is the podcast. And it'll be available fairly soon after the programme, and then you can listen to it all week. OK, we've actually got a few texts that I need to sort of get my way through. So the first one is, um, this is from Elsie. And Elsie says she's got uh, six butternut squash plants and they're growing well. But although there are loads of baby squash, there are no male flowers to pollinate the female flowers. Oh, that's interesting because it's normally the other way around. It's actually the fact that we tend, we tend to get too many males and not enough females. Um... 
there isn't, uh, there isn't a great deal that you can do, I'm afraid, Elsie, to try and encourage them. Um, uh, maybe if it's got too many females on it, that might be a reason. So, um, and obviously if they're falling off anyway, it might be a good idea to strip off. If there are lots forming, if there are lots of female flowers and uh, fruit forming, it might be a good idea to strip them off. And also just do make sure that, um, you know, you're keeping it well watered. Squashes, um, marrows, everything of that family needs plenty of moisture. And when you water, water around the plant don't water over it and keep up with a high potash liquid feed which may help or may not one of those difficult ones okay but uh, where's the next question coming in from we've got uh, okay so we've got this one is from davy in hawkwell um hi bbc essex i've recently had success germinating some monstera deliciosa seed oh flipping out well done that's a swiss cheese plant the plants have grown onto about four inches tall and i now need to pot them on could you recommend a compost that uh, a mix that i could make myself to give them the better the best conditions to be honest davy um plants like that to be put on it really doesn't matter if you get yourself a, a very good or, or any good uh, multi-purpose compost or if you actually buy a potting compost uh, that will be perfect the, the most important thing is is not to over pot them so don't put them into a huge pot so when you get the plants ready to pot on have a look at the size of the root system and then judge which size pot to put them in basically the pot needs to be just about big enough for you to put your fingers around the outside of the root ball inside the pot so it's a little tiny amount of uh, compost that is needed if you overpot them then you'll start to get problems and it is more the size of the pot than the compost i would say that is important we'll have some more calls in a minute but let's have a look at a couple more jobs that you should be doing this week Several summer flowering shrubs, including Deutzia, Colquitzia, Wygela and Philadelphus, should be pruned as soon as they finish flowering. If this job is left much later, the new growth put on after pruning may not have enough time to mature and so won't flower well next year. Cut back all the flowering shoots to strong new growth low down on the stems and thin out and completely remove any very old growth that no longer flowers profusely. After pruning, feed with a high potash plant food such as a granular rose fertiliser to ensure they produce strong new growth that will flower well next year. Then apply a thick mulch around the root area to help keep the soil moist as well as helping to keep weeds down. And now's the time to summer prune wisteria. Select shoots that will be used to build up the framework of permanent branches to cover the support and tie these in. Then cut back all the remaining side shoots to five to seven leaves long. And talking of climbers, many people get very concerned about clematis wilt, a fungal disease that causes the plant to wilt. The leaves turn black and the plant look dead literally overnight. It can be a devastating disease, but luckily clematis wilt is not as common as many fear. Clematis plants can wilt, but this is due to other reasons, and here the foliage turns brown, not black. The usual reason for wilting is damage to the thin, brittle stems. And this could be from slugs or snails eating or damaging the stems, but strong wind is another common reason, as is careless weeding with a hoe. Always make sure you provide plenty of support for clematis plants. Trellis or plastic clematis mesh is the best. 
as it provides plenty of places for the clematis tendrils to attach to. We are going back to the phones. We are going to speak to John in Halstead, and I think this might be a follow-up from a previous call. Is that right, John? Yes, it is, uh, Jeff. Um, I'd heard a, a, a phoner referring to viburnum beetle, yep. and I wondered whether you might be interested in what I did last year to try and get rid of it. I we, have my uh, pen poised, but obviously, um, if it's illegal, and, and it's no, not... it's not illegal, okay. no, no, it All didn't right. involve any chemicals or anything like okay. that, it only involved a bit of manpower. Then my fingers are poised on my pen, and I'm ready to write some notes down, so I can share this with other right. people later on. Well, I'd, I'd read that uh, the viburnum beetle lays its eggs in old wood. Correct. And the viburnum bush that we've got is very old, and although there was lots of green leaf on the outside, there was lots of dead wood um, sort of in the middle. So I thought, well, I, I'd need to cut the dead wood out to lessen the chance of its laying eggs. Yeah. But that meant that I had to cut out lots of live wood as well. So I basically cut it back till there was virtually nothing left about, except about five... Um, sort of four or four foot six long sort of stumps uh, sticking out the ground sort of uh, 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 each about a distance of a, a foot apart from one another. So John did uh, you do this because you had had viburnum beetle the year before or you didn't want no, to well, get it? We may have had it a bit the year before but we got absolutely loads last year. Right okay. So um uh, didn't really want loads of beetles, wanted to get rid of them, wanted to try and ensure that we wouldn't or lessen the chance of getting them in future. Yeah. So the same summer, with, uh, sort of within a month, I cut virtually everything back in the growing season and it recovered, it grew, it grew well, uh, it started sprouting again and now it's looking, it's not as big as it was, but it's now looking very green, very healthy and although I haven't... Um, had a really close inspection from a distance it looks uh, i can't see any viburnum uh, beetle at all it's looking much much more healthier it's like a sort of a, a revitalized reinvigorated plant i gave it a bit of water uh, after i cut it right back yeah, and i good. think i might have fed it as well yeah always a good idea really hard prone yeah but so I the, think so I've been fairly successful. So the leaves are, are healthy, there's no sign of nibbling and no sign of damage? Well, I, I, haven't, been, I haven't been up there um, to have a good look. I haven't got my gardening shoes on at the moment, and I'd only heard your call when I was in the car. Uh, okay. I knew the programme was coming to an end soon, so I came back straight back in and went to the phone rather than go and have a really thorough investigate. But from a distance, I can't see any. OK, well, it Whereas sounds like you've, you've you done, could, a, you, you, you've it, done it, a good job. Ab absolutely loads of... Uh, the leaves were all sort of shriveled and eaten at the ends last year, really yep. badly. So, what are you going to do for next year? Are you going to are you going to repeat it? No, because uh, I, I think I've um, I'm hoping I've uh, cut out all the dead wood. I had to be really drastic. I had to be really brutal, you know, yep. in, uh, in in cutting out every bit of dead wood. And to get there, I had to cut out loads of live wood as well, because otherwise I was going to be pricked, uh, and there wasn't room to reach right in because it's quite big. The <laughs> yeah. bush itself yeah. was about. Yeah. I don't know, six, eight feet across. OK, brilliant. Well, um, would you keep us updated? Ne maybe maybe next year, come back yes, and sort of let yes. us know if whether it, 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 it comes it's back, worked. I'll let you know. If I have to take remedial action, I'll let you know again. Fabulous. All right, thank you very much, John. That's John in Halstead. See, that's what BBC S6, that's what the Gardening Hour is all about. It's not all about me rabbiting on about giving you, giving my suggestions on how you solve your problems. It's about our listeners getting in touch and giving us their ideas as well, which is brilliant. OK, but we are going to go back to the phones. We're going to speak to Gordon, and Gordon is from Dovercourt. Hello, Gordon. How can we help you today? 
Good morning, Jeff. I wonder if you could recommend a tree uh, for me for my uh, small garden at the, at the rear, um, which wouldn't be uh, any taller than around 12 feet. Okay. Is there anything you can recommend? Okay, there's a, <clears throat> one of my, my favourite small tree for small gardens is something called an amelanchia. Um, or its, its common name is Juneberry. Um, I'll spell the amelanchia. It's A-M-E-L-A-N-C-H-I-E-R. Amelanchia or, or Juneberry. Um, and the reason I love it so much is that um, it, you can either grow it as a shrub, a multi-stemmed shrub, or you can buy it, uh, grow it as a single-stemmed tree. But what I love is that it's got something going on almost 12 months of the year. So it has, when the, when the new growth comes out in spring, it's a, a lovely bronze colour, then it turns green during the summer, and then it produces brilliant autumn leaf colours before the leaves drop in the autumn. In, um, in spring, it has masses and masses and masses of, of small white flowers, so it almost looks white itself which then give rise to these berries in June, hence the name why it's called Juneberry. It tends to, fla uh, tends to fruit quite early. So you've got the, you've got the flowers giving the fruit, um, and the fruit is edible. If, if there's any Canadians listening, um, they, they eat amelanchia fruit with just about every single meal they eat from breakfast all the way through to supper. Um, and they, they taste really, really good. And then even in winter, when all the leaves have dropped, you get a, a, quite a fine tracery of branches. So it's got something in spring that changes in summer, that changes in autumn, that changes in winter. And, and for, a small, for a small garden, I think it's a brilliant tree. Thank you very much indeed, Jeff. Much How's, obliged to you. Good. Um, or, Please. you know, there are, some, there are some small cherries. If you go to a good garden centre or nursery, you know, I'm sure that they will be able to uh, recommend uh, a small cherry variety or a small crabapple variety. Um, but there's, there's lots of trees suitable for small gardens. All right, I did say that um, we'd managed to um, unlock Ken's computer. Somehow, I don't know how you know how he managed to lock it, but we've actually managed to unlock it to get some um, of the emails that he has squirrelled away. So sorry, Ken, when you come in next week, these will have been answered. So the first one is from um, Carol and John. And obviously, Carol and John have been in touch with Ken over the years. Um, and basically, this uh, just as a, a point of interest, Ken, um, our thistle is now up to nine feet. And they've obviously inquired about how to grow this thistle in previous years. And they've luckily sent a photo. Um, and poor old Carol there is absolutely dwarfed by this huge thistle growing over it. Um, and I recognise it very, very well. This is what's commonly known as the Scotch thistle. Um, its uh, botanical name is uh, Onopordum acanthium. I used to manage a garden centre down in Sussex many, many years ago, um, and we used to sell a load of this because it's absolutely fabulous by the sea. Um, it is a biennial, so in the first year it only produces leaves, and then it produces its flowers in the second year, and then dies away, but it will self-seed. Um, and and a word, one word of warning, Carol and John, it will self-seed. So you better be careful and watch out for all the the seedlings that are going to come um, come around all over the place but the foliage is absolutely fabulous it's got this fabulous typical thistly foliage quite large but a lovely silvery color so that's a that's a great one but as i say 
Um, you know, you will be setting up your own Scotch thistle nursery if you let all those seedlings uh, grow next year. Or obviously deadhead it uh, once the flowers fade before the seeds are shed. Um, this is one of the most interesting questions I've had, um, and it's so interesting I can't answer it. At least I don't think I can answer it. Um, and this comes from Janet. It's Janet Ridgewell, um, obviously because it's by email, we don't know where she's from. But Janet says that um, she had a, ho a mop head hydrangea for about 20 years. But as it was planted too close to a large conifer, it was struggling, which it would, I think. So last year she dug it up and she put it in a pot. Now. It has become a lace cap variety. Can you explain how this can be? Uh, and I'm afraid, Janet, over many, many years of answering gardening questions and many years of answering them on BBC Essex, um, I don't think I can because obviously the, the photo that you've attached is most definitely a lace cap hydrangea. So if it was a mop head when you initially got it, um, it, it, it can't change. You know, a variety is either lace cap or mop head. So the only explanation that I can think of is that your original variety was grafted onto a rootstock and that rootstock was of a species that produces um, lace cap type flowers. The variety died and only the rootstock remains. Other than that, you've beaten me. And would you like a cigar or a bag of peanuts? Because that's the reward if you beat me in a gardening question. Um, and we have just one more. And this has come in from David King. And David King does tell us where he's from, because David King is from Basildon. And he says, uh, good morning, Ken. Uh, he's got a, uh, a rose. It's, uh, she, he's had it in a pot. It's three years old and it's looking very poor. Um, it has only flowered once this year and now has holes on the leaves. I have fed it and kept it watered, but I miss the lovely fragrance, as you would do. I wonder if you could shed some light on the problem. And luckily, as always in these instances, he has uh, attached a photo, which helps enormously. It certainly helps enormously with the holes in the leaves. Um, and that, um, David, hopefully you are listening, um, is caused by something called a slug, uh, sorry, a rose slug worm. Um, and as its name suggests, <laughs> it looks a bit like a cross between a worm and a slug. Um, it only feeds on roses, although there are other slug worms out there. And, and it basically causes the, the holes in the leaves, but um, obviously you listeners can't see this, but obviously David can. It also tends to, uh, as well as making holes, it also tends to just scrape away at the leaf surface. So it makes marks and indentations without actually making full holes in the leaf. Um, spraying with any um, insecticide, as long as you get it at the right, it's probably too late now because it's probably gone away, it's done all its damage, it's gone away. Uh, but spraying earlier in the year with any of the, the, the recommended um, insecticides would have worked. Now the, the fact that it hasn't flowered suggests that it's not growing very well and it's not very happy. And the only thing I can think of there, because I can't actually see this in the photo, is that um, it's been in a pot for three years. And now I'm wondering whether that pot, and I, I can't quite see the pot, it looks quite a small pot. And I'm wondering whether it's become pot bound and it's been in the pot for too long. So I think this autumn, Ken, uh, sorry, not Ken, <laughs> this is to Ken, David, uh, you need to sort of turn the pot upside down carefully take it out and have a look to see whether it's pot bound or not and if it is pot bound i would be putting it into a new pot thanks very much for listening to the bbc essex gardening hour podcast if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave you can download this program and take it with you on the bbc sounds app
Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, give us a call on 0800 111 and be part of the programme. Every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. <laughs>